1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse number 42. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, cast himself down upon the earth, put his face between his knees. He said unto his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. He went up and looked, and he said, There is nothing. He said, Go again seven times. I want to look at a message this morning. Trust the process. Never give up. Father God, thank you so much for being so good, God. Thank you for your incredible mercy. Thank you, Lord, for amazing grace. Thank you for loving us in spite of us, God. Lord, thank you for these, your workers, God, for pouring their heart into the children, God. I pray for these children. Will you train them up, Lord, to be champions for Christ? Not champions in the future, but champions today, God. May you use them in our school systems to make a difference. But God, may you use us, Father, in our homes, in our lives, at work, wherever we may be, God. Will you make us usable vessels? Lord, I ask you to take this message, you would teach it into our hearts, God, that we might walk out and be a better servant. Lord, above all, I pray you'd help us, Father, to be pleasing to you in all we do. In Jesus' precious, sweet, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So here in our text this morning, we need to back up to kind of where some things started, put some things together. Elijah has been sent by God to, to reprimand Ahab for leading God's people astray into, into idol worship. The king didn't heed. Y'all hear that rain? Y'all hear that rain? We're going to talk about it. It didn't rain for three and a half years. It's been about that long since it rained, hasn't it? I just thank God the church ain't letting out right about now. That means I have permission to preach until it stops raining no matter what time it is, right? Yeah, we've been needing some rain. Funny how God just loves to work things out. But the king didn't heed Elijah's warning. He, he kept the people turned in a, in a bad direction. So Elijah, following the instructions of God, he prophesied that it would not rain for three and Well, he just prophesied it wouldn't rain. He didn't give a time span at that time. You know, in, in life, in our life, we go through a lot of places. In every place that we go through in life, they're all important places. All of them are necessary. What we see about where Elijah was sent here to deal with the king, this is a, a commanded place. God sent Elijah there for a specific purpose and told him to go there and so we know from the story that it didn't rain for three and a half years after Elijah brought down this sentence we know from Luke chapter 4 verse 25 Jesus said I tell you the truth many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months when great famine was throughout all the land James in 517 <coughs> said that Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are that means Elias was just like you and I Elijah was a man that, that if you wanted to pray for that rain to stop, do you think you could make it happen? If it hadn't rained and, and you wanted it to rain, do you have faith to pray that kind of prayer? Because that's what it says. It says he's a man just like you and I. He's born of a woman and, and he came into sin and he's the same kind of person with the same kind of passion. That's all there. But he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. So God sent Elijah to the king. He told him to prophesy that it wouldn't rain. He prophesies and then he goes back and prays for it not to rain. And for three and a half years, not even a dew fell on the land. It was parched dry. God sent Elijah, his chosen vessel, to the king to deliver a message. When God sends somebody to do anything, it's a place of importance. Remember it said that Elijah was a man of like passions. That means that our commandments are the same. When God gives us anything to do, God sent Elijah to a confrontational place. This wasn't a pleasant meeting to go sit down with the king and address him and said, you have led God's people astray. You've got all these false prophets. This was a confrontational conversation. This wasn't something that he looked forward to going to. This is a scary place. You understand he's talking to the king. The king in that day had the ability to have people killed. So, so you really don't know how the king is going to receive all this going forward. We know that it's a busy place. There's a lot of people there. You know, one of the things that we do, an excuse that we make a lot of time, is, is we're afraid of embarrassment. We're, we're afraid of peer pressure. We're, we're afraid, of some, afraid somebody might hear something or, or it might make us look bad. You understand, this is a busy place. And this is a man that comes up and tells the king, if you don't turn the people back to God, I'm going to pray and it's not going to rain. Now, let's just say you and I are sitting in a conversation and we overhear that. Do you think you get a pretty good chuckle out of that? I'm going to pray and it's not going to rain if you don't do what God said. 
So, so we see this place where we're set up for, for embarrassment, if you will. So, so it, it was a place of trial. Elijah, will you go do what I'm telling you to do? Will you just trust me and, and go in and, and, and follow my commandment? After the work, God sent a servant to another place. He sent him to a place of rest. The brook Cherith is a commanded place. Elijah doesn't stumble into the brook Cherith. He doesn't just make his way over because it's somewhere that he enjoyed hanging out. It's not his favorite vacation spot. This is a commanded place, a place of rest. All Elijah had to do was sit back and eat whatever God's Uber service brought him. DoorDash ain't nothing new to God. He had a grub hub all the way back in the Old Testament. He used the ravens to bring some food in and feed his servant. And he had a stream running to provide him with fresh water. It's a place of rest. The place of rest is a commanded place. Can, can I tell you this morning, and a lot of them that are going to need to hear this, y'all tell them they need to go back and watch it because they just walked out the door. They just went out there working with the children. A lot of them's back in the nursery. A lot of them's over treehouse ministries. A lot of them just went down and emerged. A lot of them are working this morning. The place of rest is a necessary place. At least six times we see Jesus separate himself into an alone place, one for to pray and the other to rest. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we filled out some ministry sheets. Some people ought to be getting in touch with those of you that filled it out. I appreciate you filling it out. I made a statement that day and I meant what I said. God doesn't want anybody doing everything. God wants everybody doing something. In all honesty, we're the typical church. We've got a handful of people doing almost everything. And I'll tell you the truth. It's not your fault. The reason so many people sit on church pews and do nothing is because they're not given an opportunity to. They're not given. So I fully believe that everybody wants to serve. I truly believe the Holy Spirit inside of people really wants to do something. So we put out a ministry sheet so that some of you can get signed up. There ought to be some leaders getting in touch with you, getting plugged in. But can I tell you, there are some people here who are doing everything. There's some of you here and those in the back, if they can hear me on the intercom on the system right now, they're going to say, amen. Some of you need to take your name off some list. Some of you need to take some time and, and, and get a little bit of a little bit of a break because they're, they're doing everything. It's okay to sit at the brook Cherith and let the ravens feed you for a while. The thing about the place of rest, it is a commanded place. God sent him there, but it's not a permanent place. We see too many people, they get up and they get all hands in. Y'all seen if you've been in church long at all. They get in, it's all hands on deck, man. They want to jump into everything. I want to be in this, I want to be in that, and I want to be in And that's why it's a dangerous place because before long, you, you see them out. And if you're not careful, you don't just see them out of ministries, you see them out of church. So it's necessary to rest. It's necessary to limit what you can do. It's necessary to be involved, to be involved in the family, to be involved in the work, to be involved in the ministry, that we might reach the lost, that we might share the gospel, that people might see the light, as the children talked about, that people might see the light of Christ in us. It's necessary that we rest, but the place of rest is not a place of retirement. It doesn't mean that we stop serving God. Chapter 17, verse 7, it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So God wanted his servant to go there and get some rest, but, but not retire. As, as children of God, there's always something that we can do for God. We're, 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 ne we're never incapacitated to a point that we can't do anything for the glory of God. Especially now that we have these computers in our phones and if we can't do anything else, we can send somebody a message. If we can't do anything else, we can send somebody a scripture. If we can't do anything else, we can let somebody know that we're praying for them. If we can't do anything else, we can let somebody know that we love them. All of those are ministries always that they're there that we can use. God always has something for us to do. So there's no such thing as retirement when it comes to serving God. We may need to take a step back sometime. You may need to take a break from something that's taking all of your time. Maybe just do something different. That's one reason we changed the Awana program like it is to nine-week segments. After nine weeks, you guys can swap roles and do something different. Otherwise, when you commit in August, you're there until May. It's a very long window. So sometimes you just need to change some things around, but we're never supposed to quit. So the word of the Lord comes to Elijah again in verse number 9 of chapter 17. Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. I want you to look at the next statement that God says to Elijah, Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. See, that sounds like God has told this woman, I'm going to send you a prophet and I want you to take care of him. Right? Anybody agree with that? I have commanded a woman to take care of you. Isn't that what it sounds like? Well, that's where you lose some stuff in the translation to the English words because that's not really what God said. 
Well, if you take another translation that God says, I have prepared a woman. Here's the beauty of it. God's prepared a woman that's lost her husband. And, and we're going to find out a little bit what happens to her son. And God says, I prepared a woman to provide for you, but she's the one that needs help. God said, I have prepared a woman to take care of you, but this woman has no idea that Elijah's even coming. She has issues of her own. She's broke. She, she has no food. She has nothing to provide. And, and, and they're, they're coming up on starvation. So, so the, the word command here simply means I have prepared. So God is sending Elijah there. But this really isn't for Elijah. This is still a rest season. I've got somebody to take care of you. But he's going to take care of this widow woman and her son. See, when you get to Zarephath, there's a lot of things going on at this place. We find a place of worship. We find, obviously, a place of miracles. We find a place of testing. We find a place of healing. We find a place of study from the prophet. And, and it's all combined into this place of rest. So the place of rest doesn't mean sit back and be slothful. It just means take a minute to catch your breath. Elijah gets to Zarephath and meets the woman God's told him about. She knows nothing about Elijah coming. She knows nothing about what's going to be there. And Elijah says, ma'am, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go make me a little morsel. Go make me a little cake. Go, go bake me a little, little biscuit. And she says, can't do that. Don't have anything to do it with. You see this little bit of handful of meal? That's all I got. See these few little drops of oil? That's the last thing we have to our name. The only reason I'm out here now, I'm just gathering up a few little sticks to make just a little small fire and make these two cakes. We're going to eat the last that we have, and, and then we're going to die. Elijah says, okay. Make your two cakes, one for you and one for your son. But make me one first. Hello. I just told you I don't have anything. I just told you I don't have enough. He says, you just go make me one first. And what we know from the miracle is that the meal never ran out and the cruise of oil never ran dry for two and a half years. Sometimes you just got to stand on what God says. It ain't got to make sense to you. Human mathematics doesn't work like God's math. Anybody ever paid your bills with money you didn't have? Anybody here looking, look back at your life and see how God brought you through stuff that you couldn't walk through? Got you through stuff you couldn't get through. Paid for things when you, when you don't even know where the money came from. See, that's God's math. You just do what God says do and let God take care of the rest. See, Elijah is not here for Elijah. It looks like he is. Anybody thinks Elijah's here for Elijah? Go ahead. It's, it's fair. God sent him from here to, from, from the brook Cherith to Zarephath. So, and he said, I've commanded a woman to take care of you. So on, on the surface, it looks like Elijah is there for Elijah, but, but, but Elijah's not. He's there for the woman. See, sometimes the problem we get into is we go somewhere that we think God told us to go. And we think we got to the wrong place because there wasn't anything there for us. We think we got to the wrong spot or we did something wrong along the way because there was nothing there for us. But God doesn't send us everywhere to do something for us. God sends us to places to be a blessing to somebody else. And that's what you see here with Elijah. This woman, she does what she's supposed to do. She offered what she had. Y'all remember the message two weeks ago? Anybody remember? Go please somebody remember the message two weeks ago. Offer what you have. Remember we talked about the little lad that had the five barley loaves, the little five little biscuits and the two small fishes. He didn't have much. That's all he had, a little boy's lunch, but he offered what he had. And Jesus took it and fed the 5,000 men plus women and children, right? We know about the woman with the two mites. She cast in what she had. And that's all she had, two mites. Jesus said to that woman, she put in more than everybody else. You got people unloading donkeys with bags of gold and silver, piling it up at the temple and showing off all that they have. And this woman puts in two little mites. That's one-fourth of a penny. Puts it in. Jesus says she put in more than anybody. She put in more than all the bags of gold for them out of their abundance, out of their wealth, out of their much. They came and put in a little bit of part of what they had. But she cast everything she had into the treasury, even her living. She gave all she had. She didn't have much, but she gave all that she had. So the woman here at Zarephath, this widow woman, she doesn't give much because she doesn't have much. Boy, I feel some excuses sliding right off now while we don't give enough. She didn't give much because she didn't have much, but she gave what she had. Verse number 17, her sons become, become sick and dies. 
She comes to Elijah and says, what have I to do with you? What have you to do with me? Did you come here to bring my sins to remembrance that my son would die? Elijah says, give me the boy. Verse number 19, he, he took the son, he took him out of her bosom, he carried him into a loft where he abode and he laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? Y'all reading that text? Was, was, that, was that up there? Did y'all get to see that? God, art thou come? To, no, wrong, wrong verse. Wrong verse. Move me one more. Go to the next verse. God, hast thou brought evil upon the widow by slaying her son? Elijah says, God, is that you? God, God did, you, did you do this? Is that, what, is that what it says? You have the man of God says, are you the one that brought it? Is that you? And then in verse number 21, he commanded the son to come to life. Look at it. And the boy jumped up alive and ran all the way around the bed. Oh, that's not what that says, is it? That one ain't either. You can keep going. You ain't going to find that verse. Because that's not the way the story worked. It says that Elijah, the man of God, who confronted the king, who, who prayed that it wouldn't rain at them for three and a half years, the one that we'll see go back and take on the 850 prophets, call fire down from heaven. He calls on God. He says, is that you? Or are you the one that did that? And, and the text says that he stretched himself out in verse 21 upon the child three times, cried unto the Lord and said, oh, Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come unto him. This isn't Christian aerobics. He didn't jump on that three times. Oh, God heal him. Oh, God heal him. Oh, God heal him. And then the boy jumps up. This is a brokenhearted man. This is God's chosen. Sent to a place supposed to be in a time of rest. Then he lays down upon the child. And he cries and he begs and he weeps. And he looks back and nothing happens. And three times he goes and he pours out his heart to God. It says in verse 22 that the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came unto him and... Again, it revived. So Elijah was used greatly by God. Then he was put aside for a little more than a year at the brook Cherith. Now for basically two and a half years, he is, he is set over at this widow woman's house, a, a time of strengthening. Look, listen, in your rest time, it's not a lazy time. In your rest time, it doesn't mean it's a day away from reading the book. In your rest time, it doesn't mean it's a day away from prayer. In your rest time, it doesn't mean it's away, a, 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 a time away from preparation. Rest time is strengthening time. Rest time is building time. Rest time is nourishment time. And if you're not getting fed and strengthened and nourished by the word of God, when your rest time is over, you're not going to be ready to do what God's about to send you to do. God is preparing Elijah to do something big. In verse number 18, he calls him, says it's time to get back to work. Came to pass after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab. I want you to look at the end of the verse. And I will send rain upon the earth. It's very important that we understand that God said, I will send rain. Elijah went and showed himself to Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. So we see what the results of the three and a half year famine is. We see that there's, that, that there's a severe famine all across the land from, from no rain. Now, when Ahab sees Elijah, he says in verse number 17, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? You see the finger pointing? Elijah answers, I've not troubled Israel. Thou in thy father's house, and that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and has followed Balaam. Then the showdown. Send therefore and gather unto me all Israel on the Mount Carmel. The prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. See, Ahab, Ahab tried to blame Elijah for the drought. He said, oh, no, you ain't sticking that on me, chump. I came and told you, all you got to do is lead God's people back to God and get rid of these altars of the, these, these false gods. All you had to do, and this never happened. This is all on you, buddy, but here's what you do. You go get all of Israel, because I want everybody to see this. 
I don't want nobody to miss what God's about to do. You get everybody here, and you get all 850 of those lying prophets, and you bring them on over here, and, and we'll have a showdown. Now, we looked at it last week, verse number 38, when we had the showdown, and they cried out and cut themselves and jumped on the altar, and nothing happened. They got to choose the bullet. They got to go first. Finally, Elijah says, I've had enough of that. Get out of the way. And Elijah calls and the fire of God comes down from heaven. It, it devours the sacrifice. It devours the wood. It devours the dust. It licks the water up out of the ditches. It even devoured the stones that was there. After that, Elijah had all the prophets killed. All those lying false prophets. He had all of them killed. Because they'd been lying to the people. They'd been leading the people away from God. He had every one of them executed. But look at verse 41. In the presence of all the people, everybody's there. Remember who's there? All of Israel, right? All of Israel, listen. And, and he says, prepare for rain. There's an abundance of rain. He, it, verse 41, get, get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. And then we come to our text for the morning. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. We finally got up work, started the message. We had some catching up to do. To eat and drink, Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. He cast himself down upon the earth, put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. He went up and looked and said, There is nothing. He said, Go again seven times. Elijah said in front of everybody, It's going to rain. He rained in three and a half years. Elijah said in front of everybody, it's going to rain. I don't know about you, but I know where I'm at. If it ain't raining, I'm going to make a prophecy like that and say it's going to rain. I'm expecting at least a little clap of thunder to crack off. I, I'm wanting to see a streak of lightning come across the sky. I, I'm wanting some winds to start howling. I'm wanting to see some dark clouds brewing up in the west heading my way. But you look at it, nothing happens. It's a bright, sunny, beautiful day. Elijah said it's going to rain, and then he goes back to a place of solitude. He goes back. But, but see, it's important to understand, he heard what God said. God said, I will send rain upon the earth. Elijah heard what God said. He's been and confronted Ahab. He did exactly what he's supposed to do, and now he has come to ask God to send the rain. Elijah doesn't even look to see if it's raining. He tells his servant, he says, you go look. Go up and see what you see. The servant come by, and he says, I don't see anything but sunshine. Seven times you go through the same, just like stretching himself out upon the boy, three times. Listen, in your prayer life, just because it hasn't happened yet, don't give up. Just because it hasn't happened yet, don't stop praying. Until God answers your prayer with either the miracle you're looking for, the answer you're looking for, or no. That's what he told the Apostle Paul. Until God answers the prayer, just keep on praying. Seven times he goes up. That, that means... It's never time to quit. Elijah knows what he's heard. See, sometimes we just have to hold on to what we know we've heard God say. Sometimes, sometimes this is what you've heard. You've read it. You've heard it here. You just got to hold on. This will never fail you. This will never let you down. This will never change. If you do not believe this is God's holy, infallible word, you already got an issue. Because you either believe all of this or you believe none of this. You don't pick and choose God's word. You don't pick and choose God's way. You don't pick and choose God's sentence. You don't pick and choose God's definition. It's either from in the beginning to amen or it's none. So, so if this is what God said, this is what God said. But sometimes, sometimes God said it to you. In your heart. In your spirit. Woke you up in the middle of the night and you know God told you something to do and you've been waiting a long time and you still ain't seen it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know in your heart that, that God gave you something. So finally, on the seventh time, the servant says, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. Go up and because it's this little cloud, this little spot, go up and say to Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down. That the rain stopped they not. Wait, what? Just a little cloud? You, you know, if, if we're on vacation and we're facing to go out to the beach, we want to make sure it's good, and we look out, we ain't even going to pay that little cloud no attention. I mean, it's a bright, sunny day. It, it's not even worth mentioning. It's just, it's just this little bitty 
spot. See, you would never even notice that cloud unless you were looking for rain. There's things happen in our life that we would never even notice unless we were looking for God in them. Oh, it's quiet on Sunday morning. There are things that happen in our life that are an amen, hallelujah moment in our life and we miss it because it's not what we were looking for. We were looking for something. All it says is little bitty cloud. See, too many times we just don't see the answers coming because we're not looking. Every dream, every dream has a small beginning. Everything starts somewhere. Anybody ever been out west, California, ever seen the sequoias, the giant redwoods? Anybody ever seen them? Raise your hand. I want to see if anybody ever seen them. Anybody ever seen a picture of them? Raise your hand seen a picture of them. And they got highways driving through the trees. That's a pretty good sized tree, right? No matter how big the tree, no matter how many highways they can put through the tree, no how many birds nest up in the branches, no matter how much food it drops down to feed wildlife, no, no matter how much shade it produces for all the many people, it all started with a seed. Everything began somewhere small. See, I, I can't tell you the number of people that I've known in my life, especially in my Christian life, that have started some kind of ministry, started some kind of prayer group, started some kind of Bible study, started teaching Sunday school. They plugged in to do something. And after a while, mm, because it didn't get big enough fast enough, they quit. Because, because they had two people show up when they were expecting thousands. Because we didn't get what we were looking for. We didn't get what we... Can I tell you something? It takes just as much dedication, work, and prayer time to prepare to preach to one as it does to 10,000. It takes the same amount of effort. They put all the work in and enough don't show up. So here's the problem. They quit. That means one or two things. It was either something they came up with and they weren't called of God. Or they have quit on what God told them to do. Here in our text, God promised it's going to rain, and it broke loose this morning. I'm talking about pouring down. All y'all people with garden are going, thank you, Jesus. I've been running a water hose for weeks around here. It ain't running around this place. We have some vegetables. I'll leave the gates open out front. I'll be expecting some cucumbers and tomatoes and some peas. God promised that it was going to rain. But between the promise and the answer, there was a process. See, in verse number one, God promises to tell Ahab to get up, it's going to rain. It is 45 action-packed verses later before you see the rain. Life is all about the process. Romans there in 8.28, all things work together for good for them who love God, who are the call according to his purpose. That's the process. It doesn't say that all things are good. There are going to be bad things in your life, bad moments in your life, painful moments in your life. You're going to suffer loss in your life. You're going to go through hard times in your life. What it says is there's a process. God says that I'm doing something, and, and in the process, I'm going to work on something. I met Mr. Charlie this is Charlie Vincent about two and a half, three years ago. He'd become a really good friend of mine. The way I met him, he, he's a PGA golf pro. He did that for years, and that's how I met Mr. Charlie. Um, he, be, he became my golf coach and, until I, he finally decided I was a lost cause. So Mr. Charlie taught me something about golf that God's been trying to use to teach me about life. See, what Mr. Charlie told me about golf is the people's problem is that they think it has something to do with hitting that golf ball. How many of you think that playing golf has something to do with hitting the golf ball? I do. I watch everybody else hit it and it goes where they want it to. Why don't mine go where it's supposed to? Because my process is wrong. I, I'm thinking it's about hitting the ball. Mr. Charlie told me that hitting the golf ball has nothing to do with golf. He says it's all about the process. It starts with the grip, and that's where it started with the grip. It moves to the setup. It goes to the takeaway. Everything's the follow through. He says, it's a process. And everything in the golf swing is a process. And he says, if you do the process correctly, the ball simply gets in the way of the club, and you'll like the results. 
Sounds like it makes a lot of sense, don't it? So I still try to do the process, and I still have some disobedient balls. I haven't found the ball yet that understands I'm trying to process when this club comes by. Jump in the way and go right down there in that little bitty hole. That's what I need you to do. But at least I understand one thing. If I can get the process, I can make the ball go where I want it to go. There's a process in everything. Anybody ever watch movies? You guys like watching movies? Anybody like watching movies? Yeah, me not so much. I'm not, I'm not that big of a fan of movies, but I'll watch, I'll watch one from time to time. How many of you like for somebody to tell you, you really need to go see a movie, and in the process of telling you how you need to go see the movie, they're telling you about the movie, and you're like, if you're going to keep telling me, I'm going to need to go see it. And then they tell you how it ends. So they just ruin everything. A few weeks back, Rob and Katie come home. I said, hey, y'all, I found us a movie on Pure Flicks. Found this movie. We're going to watch a movie. And they're like, we're going to watch a movie. I said, yeah, we're going to watch a movie. They said, isn't it good? I'm like, I don't know. I ain't seen it. I, I, watched the, I watched the trailer. The trailer's pretty good. Like a pretty good movie. All the way in where the little girl dies. And she's like, what? I said, man, I'm just kidding. You know, a little girl don't die. Man, let's go watch the movie. The girl died. <laughs> I said, worst movie I ever watched. If I had known she's going to die, I would not have sat here and watched it. It ruined everything. But see, it's kind, of, it's kind of like life. you got to go through the whole process. In the movie, if somebody tells you how it's going to end, then you already have the ending in mind. So all this other stuff isn't going to do in you what you need to do. The reason it hurt for the little girl to die is because I just spent an hour and 45 minutes falling in love with that little girl. I just went through all the things. you got to laugh at all the funny parts. you got to cry at all the sad parts. you got to flinch at all the scary parts. And you spend the whole movie falling in love or getting into the theme. And if you already know what the end is, then it messed everything up. It took the process to get you conditioned for the end of that movie. Does that make sense to anybody? Anybody like sports? I like some sports. Anybody like the Bravos? They're second right behind the UGA Bulldogs. So, Robin's got Uncle, Uncle Rick, Uncle Gary, someone to play golf with. When we get together on Sunday, we don't have TVs, family units, that stuff. We, we get together for family, so it's not ever on. So, Rick records the Braves, or he records golf. And you can't talk about it. You know, I'm going to be checking on my phone. Every little bit, I'm checking the score. You can't talk to Rick about it because he's going to go home and he's going to watch the game. Or he's going to watch the golf match. He don't want to know what's happened because he wants to see it at the end. Anybody like that? Anybody like that? You guys have an advantage on me. I'm not like that. I wish I knew the score before it ever started. I, I'm the one. I would be better off if I had taped the Braves game yesterday and watched it today at 1.30 while I'm taping that one. And then watch it. That way I already know who won. You say, well, that's, that's pointless. No, it's not. See, here, here's the thing about already knowing who won. If I'm watching the game, I'm watching a rerun, I record it, I already know who won. Let's just say we're watching a football game and, and we fumble. Well, that's going to be frustrating. I'm still going to call him Butterfingers, tell him to protect the football. But it's not as bad because I already know we won. We throw an interception. I'm still going to ask the quarterback, who are you throwing the ball to, man? We, we got on red. I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still going to talk to the television. Anybody else talk to the television? I'm, I'm, a great, I'm a great sofa coach. <clears throat> but I'm not going to be as frustrated because I already know we won. My wife will say, amen, it's true. Two minutes left in the game, minute 45 seconds. We're behind by two, drive down. We're in field goal range. We can win it. And we fumble the football with two minutes left in the game. I'm going to turn it off and go out. Are you kidding me? I invested three and a half hours of my time to watch y'all throw it away on a silly fumble. But if I know we won, y'all with me? If I know we won and we just fumbled with a, with a buck 45 left and we're behind by two, now I have some excitement. I, I, I'm going to watch and, and I want to see how are we going to get out of this mess. Well, it's kind of what life is like. See, I've read the book, and like most of you, I've cheated. I read the back. And you know what I learned? Who said it? We win. We win. I have gone to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you shall be also. 
I, I know that we win. You know, you know what it does for me when I already watching the game that I already know who won? It lets me know that we win, so I'm still mad about the fumble, but I'm not in despair because I already know we win. I'm still going to be ticked off at, at the quarterback for throwing the ball to the guy with the wrong color shirt, but I'm not in despair because I know we win. See, when you know you win, you still got to go through the process. You still got to go through life. You still got to go through the highs. You still got to go through the lows. You still got to go through everything there. But it is the process who's brought you from where you were to where you are. It is, it is the process of things that we go through. But when you already know that we win, it makes the fumbles not quite so hard. Well, I think I got some things on your bulletin I'm supposed to answer. Process. It is the process that teaches us to lean on Jesus. It is the process that changes us. It is the process that molds us. It is the process, y'all ready for this? And you ain't gonna like this one. It is the process that breaks us. Remember what the potter did with the, with the, with the vessel on the wheel? It was a good vessel, but what did he do with it? Marred it. He marred it in his hand, not to get rid of it, not to destroy it, not to throw it away. He marred it into his hand that he might make again another vessel what seemed good to the potter. It, it is the process of time. It is the process of the wheel. It is the process that, that breaks us from what we are and it forms us into what God wants us to be. It is the process that increases our faith, builds our strength and defines our character. Sometimes the process is filled with pain. Somebody say amen. Sometimes the process is filled with heartaches. Sometimes the process is filled with disappointment. But it takes all those to get from where we were to where God's taken us. Just because something's not going our way doesn't mean we can change the process. Just because things aren't going our way, we have to keep on reading, keep on studying, keep on praying. Keep on sharing the gospel with others. Keep on being a light in a dark world. We cannot abandon the process. Elijah's servant says, I don't see a thing. And Elijah says, go look again. I don't know how long the time span is in between this, but Elijah's praying the whole time. And the servant comes back. And Elijah, with anticipation of an answer, you understand God said it's going to rain. You understand he just told Ahab and all the people of Israel, it's going to rain. He has, anybody believe there's some anticipation building here? And, and it comes back, and says nothing. You know, after a half a dozen times, well, we just have to be, I don't know that I made it half a dozen times. After three o'clock, after three, y'all know I just thought about a time, three o'clock in the morning when I was out kicking rocks in the yard. I, I don't make it to six or seven times. Three times, God, you told me he's going to do something. I, I done got to three times. I'm, 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 I'm getting mad. In, anybody in here super spiritual that you don't get mad? You don't know what I'm talking about. Anybody else in here feel like you get a little sideways with God when it ain't working quite like you thought it ought to? Seven times. Elijah's sitting there praying, and, and he keeps coming back, and, and he says, I don't see anything. Until the seventh time. See, it's easy. It's easy to look at the story of their life in the book. You know why? Because you see that they won. It's easy to look at Abraham and see how Abraham failed and didn't leave the father's house like he supposed to, but took him with him. And how he failed and went into Egypt and, and he failed and he used the concubine to have an illegitimate son. It's easy to look at some of the failures along Abraham's way. It's easy to look at David and see the story of how he messed up with Bathsheba and, and, and went and killed her husband Uriah. It's easy to look at their life and see that they fumbled the ball along the way. They made some mistakes. They went through some storms. They had some bad times. But it's, it's a lot easier because we know they win in the end. See, we've got to look at our life the same way. We've we got to know that, that we win. And, and Elijah, we, we see it. We see that, that he was sent to the king. He's commanded to summons that won't rain. He, he goes into a season of rest. He sees the brook dry up. Now, look, if you're there and you're where God put you and the brook's drying up and there's a little trickle of water, are you not starting to question God? God, didn't you send me here? Now, if it ain't raining, 
And it ain't going to rain. I'm not a mathematician. He probably wasn't thinking about the water from the rock at Horeb, was he? He probably wasn't thinking about taking a stick and smiting a rock. If he's anything like me, and the Bible says he's a man of light passions like me, so I just got to think if he's a man of light passions like me, he's probably thinking, God, what am I supposed to do now? What am I going to do for water? You, you, you're going to send a whale by my way out here in this desert and, and, and bring me a dose? So, so if he's a man of light passions, he watches as the brook dries up. Now he's sent to Zarephath where, where I prepared a woman to take care of you. And you get there, the woman that you're sent to take care of can't even take care of herself. Hello, come on. The woman that you're sent to take care of has nothing to take care of you with. All she's got is one son that's going to wind up sick. But yet you, you go there and, and then you find out that, that the little boy dies. But what you see is that the entire time that you're there, you see the miracle of God every day, every day. Here's what did not happen. Somebody's going to need to get a hold on this. When you keep wanting a million dollars to show up in your bank account, when you keep waiting on those guys to show up at your door and tell you you just won the lottery that you ain't never even played, or what's that, clearinghouse shows up. God may not put a billion dollars in your bank, but he doesn't have to. He can provide for your need today. And we don't have no business worried about tomorrow. We ain't got there yet. He said sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. When you get up tomorrow morning, you don't have to have a billion dollars in your bank account or a pantry full of food. You just have to trust God that he can provide for your needs tomorrow. And when you go to bed that night, all you got to worry about the next day, it ain't got to be a billion dollars. That's what Elijah is. That's what the mill. Listen, it doesn't say that she had this little bit a, a meal and she had these couple little drops of oil and when she put it in all of a sudden they miraculously filled up with two and a half years worth every single day she poured out the last two or three drops of oil and the last little handful of meal so that the vessel was empty tomorrow morning she got back somebody needs to hear what i'm telling you the next day she come back there was just enough meal for that day and just enough oil and she emptied all that she had that day and the next day there was just enough some of us have got to live in that place it's easy to sit in elijah's life anybody feel like sometimes if y'all's bank account looks like mine it ain't enough if y'all, well, I ain't gonna say our pantry ain't enough because y'all know out of line. We we look at stuff in life and we and we think it's not enough, but but it is. And when we look at somebody else's life, it's easy to see. He sent him to to destroy the altars of Baal, to have all the prophets killed, to have everything going on. And then the next thing we find in chapter nineteen is Elijah on the run. Calls fire down from heaven. The fire of God comes down and he has all 850 of the prophets executed. And then in chapter 19, verse 4, he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness, came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die. Can, can, can I just point out right here? Elijah is so depressed that he asked God to take his life. Wait, what? The man that just stood before all Israel challenged one against 850 false prophets of Baal, the man who just stood there and called the fire of God down from heaven, he is on the run because one woman is mad about it, and he is so depressed that, that he, he requested for himself that he might die. He said, it is enough. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. God, this life, this process has become more than I bargained for. I just want you to take my life. So God, ask Elijah a question. Band, you guys come on up. Go and get the band. Go and get your stuff ready. God asked Elijah the question. See, Elijah has given up on the process because it looked too difficult. Elijah has given up. So he hides in this cave and he asks God to take his life. And God says, what are you doing here? Anybody ever been in that place? You find yourself in a place of self-pity. You find yourself in a place of depression. You find yourself in a place retiring. You find yourself staying away from church. You find yourself not reading your Bible. You find yourself away from the things of God. And you're complaining to God. And I feel like I have every right to do so. Somebody say amen. And God says, what are you doing here? Verse number 10, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. The children of Israel forsaken thy covenant and thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only am left. 
They seek my life, take it away. See, the, the process, the events of life, the, the hard times that he has gone through has pushed him into this state of depression. See, it's, it's very easy. In our world, ain't no different. Our life ain't no different. It's very easy when things aren't going our way and it seems like everything, somebody's going to be able to say amen because there's at least a half a dozen of you that it ain't like bunches like bananas. It's, it's clusters like grapes. It just keeps on coming and keeps on coming and keeps on coming and keeps on coming and keeps on coming. You find like, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? You, you said you wouldn't give me more than I can handle. I can't handle it. Yes, you can. If you couldn't, God wouldn't put it there. But what he's doing is, is building up. But if we're not careful, those times when we keep going and keep going, we begin to find ourselves in self-pity. Woe is me. It just seems like nothing, nothing is working out. Verse number 11. God said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountain, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, still a small voice. So it was, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his, his face in his mantle, and he went out, and he stood at the entering of the cave, and behold, there came a voice unto him. Here it is, he asked him again. What doest thou here, Elijah? Why are you here? Am I not enough for you? Did I not close up the heavens for three and a half years at the voice of your prayer? Did I not command the rain and it rained upon the land at the voice of your prayer? Did I not provide the meal? Did I not provide the oil? Did I not give you everything you need? Why are you here, Elijah? Why are you caught up in this self-pity? Why are you asking for your life to end? Have I not been enough for you to bring you to here? God says, I got something for you to do. Get up and get out of here. I, I, I got some more things. Besides, you're not by yourself. I got 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You're never by yourself. Number one, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But number two, God's always got his people. God's always got his family. God's always got his church. God always has a people. So he sends Elisha out and he, and, and he has him go out and, and, and anoint the other priest. Then we see the calling of Elisha. Elisha is the next man up. Can I tell you, God always has a next man up. You know what I see right there between Elijah and Elisha? Many times, God uses our life to train our replacement. Nobody heard that? He used Elijah. You, you, you think Joshua didn't become this great man. He learned it through Moses. So what, what, what you see is Elisha had double the portion of what Elijah had, but he learned it from Elijah. That's because God took him and used him to train the next man up. Listen, if we are not replicating Christians in our life, we're dropping the ball. If we are not replicating servants in the house of God, we're dropping the ball. If we're not replicating the things that God is doing in our life, we're dropping the ball. There's always got to be a next man up because God's word will always survive. Moral of the story, never give up. Never give up. Sometimes the process is hard. Sometimes the process has got some difficult spots in it. But trust the process. When you don't feel like trusting, just keep on trusting. When you don't feel like reading, just keep on reading. When you're not in the mood to pray anymore, just keep on praying. When, when you don't know what to pray, had this conversation with more than one recently. When you don't know what to pray, just keep on praying. Just pray, pray your same prayers. If you don't know anything else to pray, you don't know anything new, then pray your same prayer until you receive an answer. When, when the world says, well, it ain't got to be the world. When the flesh says, 
We understand it now. When, 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 when my weaknesses say, just give up and give in. Don't give up. Don't give in. The devil has no power over a child of God that lives life on his knees. The devil has no power over a child of God, no matter what your heartache, no matter what your failure, no matter what your storm, no matter what your battle, no matter what your mistakes. The devil has no power over a child of God that lives on his knees. Trust the process. You know why? If you're going through the process, God is up to something big in your life. God is in the process of developing something. I know many of you are going through some painful processes. Now, I ask you guys, would to stand where you're at? Certainly, was, you, the altar is always a good place to pray. If you want to come to the altar to pray, you're certainly welcome to. The process. The process can be painful. Sometimes we just need to get on our knees and say, God, help me through the process. Help, help me to understand that what's taking place right now in my life is in your hands. It, it's not out of your hand. It's not out of your control. Just help me to understand. For some, the biggest part of the process is Jesus Christ. See, you can't get to the process until you get into the family. See, there was a process in my life that it took that process to get me from where I was into the place where I got saved. See, you, you got to realize you lost before you look to be saved. But the whole process starts, everything that God does in our life, the first process is to bring us to a point of repentance. To say, Lord, I am a sinner. I, I'm just asking you to forgive me of my sins. I, I'm trusting you to save my soul. See, that's the first part of the process. The first part is to get us to the point of repentance to trust Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. That we might, Jesus said, it said a man be born again. He shall not see the kingdom of God. And you can't be born again without trusting Christ and receive the Holy Spirit. We're caught up in this world. This is all these different ways to get saved. No, there's not. There's not works. There's not merits. Saved by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. The world says, oh, there's lots of ways. That's not what the, wor that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. It is the name of Jesus Christ. So for some, the process needs to turn a page. Maybe they're on live stream, YouTube, where they're at. Somebody today, if you never trusted Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, make today the day. I want to ask you guys, if you will, while the band sings, if you know somebody that's going through the process and they could use your prayer, would you come offer it for them? Pray on their behalf. If you know somebody hurt and you know somebody needs something, or if somebody is you, Bring it down and say, God, help me get through this process. I just want to serve you. I just want to be pleasing to you. Go ahead, guys.